Jesus' name, amen. Our reading this morning is from the first letter uh, to Timothy, the fourth chapter. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars, whose consciences are seared with a hot iron, they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by God's word and prayer. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the words of the faith and the sound teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. Train yourself in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and struggle because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. And for those of you who are worshiping with us online, I want to offer you a special welcome as well. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we will be having Holy Communion this morning. So if you're worshiping with us online, go ahead and you can get your bread and your wine ready, uh, your gluten-free option if you need that, or grape juice, whatever it is that you need for that moment. Uh, you can get that ready so then when the time comes here in a little bit, you can receive that with joy as Christ speaks his promises to us. Well, today I'm very excited because we are continuing this series that we've been working on uh, the last couple of weeks called Transformed. We're exploring how God changes us, how he makes us new. And, uh, you know, newness is really important to us here at New Life. Uh, this church was founded on the belief, the idea that God makes things new and that he is doing new Things. And so the way that we actually talk about that is with this phrase, transformation. This change that happens in our hearts and minds and our lives. And we believe that the change that God seeks to happen in our community by making the community around the congregation this place of peace where captives are set free and those who are poor are brought up out of poverty where the gospel is proclaimed and we believe that God intends to transform the whole world at the end of all things by recreating the whole world, the new heavens and the new earth that we can live with him for eternity. In fact, this is our mission and vision statement. Transformed hearts, transformed lives, transformed community, transformed world. This is how we center ourselves around what God has asked us to do here in this congregation and in the Sock Valley and in the whole world. And so as uh, this summer has progressed and as we've called uh, Pastor Drew, uh, and he begins next week, by the way. He'll be here next Sunday. Uh, he'll preach for us next Sunday. So he's moving in this week. 
Uh, and uh, as, we, as we have been going through this process of calling our new lead pastor, him and I have been talking with one another, uh, praying for each other, praying for the church, and, and separately we've been guided and we've been hearing the Holy Spirit moving us toward uh, what we think God is doing here at New Life, and kind of independently as we've come together, we found, oh, the Lord also gave you those same ideas. Isn't that nice? Isn't that special that the Holy Spirit has kind of been moving us in this direction? So as we've been having conversations, I wanted to have this teaching series happen right during this transition, this change from uh, not having Pastor Drew here to having Pastor Drew here. And in case you don't know, my wife and I are expecting a little baby like any day now. We're getting really close. We're just a couple weeks out. So we're, what's going to happen over the next several weeks is actually Drew is going to come here next week and he's going to be preaching the next several Sundays. So we've done these three sermons so far, including this one, and he's going to finish out, I think it's three or four more sermons on this idea of transformation, of how God changes us. We started two weeks ago by exploring faith, and that faith is ultimately about trust. It's about God pulling us away from ourselves, from our own selfishness, and turning us toward Jesus. God is obsessed with getting us to Jesus, to pointing us to Jesus. And he does this through the law and through the gospel. Uh, the law are the commands that he gives us that we try to abide by. And at the end of the day, what we find is, oh boy, we can't do it on our own, right? We need help. We're really unable to manage our life the way that we would really like to. And that actually points us toward our need for Jesus' mercy, and then he also gives us the gospel, which are promises in Scripture uh, that are completely unearned, completely unwarranted. They are just the free gift because God is a good father who wants to give us good things. And those promises come through Jesus. So both the law and the gospel point us and get us to Jesus. And this is what God is obsessed with, is having us join Jesus in his life and become children, his children. And so that was faith. We talked about that that first week. The second week, last week, we talked about this idea of love. That ultimately, after we have this trust, this faith, what God moves us toward is to point us away from ourselves and our own selfishness and then toward others. That love ought to be kind of the dominating force in our life. That the mark of Christian maturity is love. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more loving you're going to be. And we find that definition in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, that love is patient and kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, et cetera, et cetera, and the rest. And, and last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 10 and what Paul was dealing with there. So he was dealing with this church that, man, there were all these uh, leaders in this church who were telling the Christians in this church that they had to like follow all these extra rules. Some rules found in the Old Testament, some not, but they were like all these things that they were supposed to do. And specifically, one of the issues was around meat sacrifice to idols. And Paul says, hey, if it's not against your conscience, eat meat sacrifice to idols. Because meat is meat. It doesn't matter. But the important thing is that you have love. So if you're with somebody that that might be an issue, you restrain yourself. You let love kind of rule and dominate how you go about your work, because it's not about you, it's about the other, and that our lives ought to be ruled with love. And so today, we're actually going to explore that just a little bit more, because Paul is dealing with something similar in this letter to Timothy, and then we're going to see the next step. 
What happens after we've tried to live ruled by love and try to let love be the mark of our life? And so Paul begins this way here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared with hot iron. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from food, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor in a city named Ephesus. And for some reason in Ephesus, there are these Christians, these people who seem to have some sort of influence. They claim to be teachers. They're coming in and they're teaching all these crazy things. Like, hey, you're not supposed to eat meat at all. You're supposed to be vegetarian, which that is the craziest of things, right? So you're not supposed to eat meat at all, or also you're not supposed to be married. That as a Christian, you shouldn't be married. And Paul goes, what's the deal with this? Like, and he actually says that these people have their consciences seared with iron, with, with a hot iron, that they're scarred, that they're so dead inside, they're so unable to break open and open up their consciences even a little bit that they're seared, they're scarred. And he says, these people, what they're doing is nuts. It's not good. And Paul continues and he says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected provided it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by God's word and by prayer. So he says, you know what? Eat meat, get married, have children, do all these things. Do not let people tell you that these are not good things to do because everything that is given to us by God is good and nothing ought to be rejected as long as it is received with thanksgiving. And that kind of matches what we heard last week at the end of 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Ultimately, whatever it is that we do, whatever we eat or drink, however we have our life lived, if we're single or married, it all ought to be for the glory of God. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, for the good of the other, for the other person's benefit, for the community's benefit, for the church's benefit. So here we see this again, that Paul's dealing with the same idea. He's like, don't let your consciences be seared. Don't let them be scarred. Be free. Do what you need to do. And let it be done to the glory of God. And I would add, with love. Let love be that directive that you have in everything that you do. So we have this freedom. We're commanded to let love dominate our life, to let love be the mark of maturity. But here's the problem, is that you and I go about our lives, and more often than not, guess what? What we do actually isn't that loving, right? More often than not, day by day, we kind of get to this place where we're like, whew, that action was driven by selfishness or wanting to preserve my image or wanting to get one up on my spouse or wanting to get what I need and desire and not so much for the good of others. So we're given this command, this law, to let love dominate our lives and we go day by day and we're like, ooh, didn't do that super well today, 
right? We have this problem that no matter how hard we try, we still can't seem to get it right. It's hard for us to go even a day where we feel like, yes, I, I listen to God and I let love dominate my life and I move forward with what I needed to move forward. More often than not, we face this reality that we get it wrong. We don't do it right. And uh, so the problem that we have here is that we need to be renewed. We need God to intervene for us. That not only is being saved an act of grace, a gift from God for us, but also becoming holy and growing as a Christian is also an act of grace. It's a gift that we've been given. That we're not only saved by grace through faith, but we are also made holy and we also grow by grace through faith. And so I was actually thinking about it this morning, and it's funny how this, this happens sometimes, but I, as I was driving in uh, to the church this morning, uh, just kind of pondering, you know, spending some time in prayer, drinking my coffee, uh, pondering this, the teaching today, I was reminded of a conversation my wife and I had yesterday that, you know, there are some goals that we have as a family. There are some things that we want to achieve, some things that we want to do as a family, and one of those is to foster young kids. And so we were kind of talking with this imminent baby coming, and we're talking about our house and some of these things, and, and really we're running out of space, especially now with two boys and a girl. You know, we need a couple of rooms for them, and, and we don't have any space. And so we were kind of talking about, well, if we stayed here, this is what we would have to do, and maybe we could move to a different house. Maybe we could find a different house that would help us achieve our goals. That would help us achieve the goals of wanting to foster and bring in uh, kids that don't have a family right now to be part of ours. And the conversation became either we have to do significant renovations to our current home or get another house, right? Those are like the options. Either we drop $30,000, $40,000 into getting our house the way that it needs to with adding an extra room and doing all the stuff we need or we just get another house, right? Have any of you been there as a homeowner? You're like, I have things that I wanna get done we have goals for our family, and either we need to renovate this house or get another one. Or maybe you're just at a point where wallpaper's falling off and the paint's faded and you need to update it, right? You need to renovate, you need to make new, or just get a completely new house. And as I was driving in this morning, I was like, oh, that's a great way for us to think about what God does for us day by day. Because what we actually need is we need a renovation of our lives, our lives have to be completely renovated. And if you get a new house, if we've been saved by faith, we enter into the space where we're made new, and the house, after you buy it brand new, still after 10 or 15 years, guess what? Floors get cracked, carpets get stained, the carpets get stretched and they begin to, to fold up a little bit in the middle, the paint begins to fade, the shingles need to be repaired, these types of things, right? You have to do renovation on a regular basis to your house. You have to continue to update and do maintenance. And sometimes it can be four years, five years, seven years, 15 years. But for us, as Christians, our renovation of our lives has to happen a lot more often than that, doesn't it? We can't just do it every 15 years. We can't just get a new roof every seven years and call it good. It has to happen way more often. It has to happen not even just weekly, 
right? Gathering together on Sunday and worshiping and receiving Holy Communion, that's good. That's a renovation that God does to us, but then we head into the week, and by Thursday, we're a whole lot less holy than we were on Sunday after hearing God's word and being encouraged and renewed. So something has to happen more often than even weekly. Has to happen daily, maybe even hourly, maybe even minute by minute by minute. You see, grace is not something that we receive once. Grace is something that we continue to receive day by day by day by day. And this is why Paul says this. He says this, beginning in verse seven. I have it 7b here because it's the end of verse seven. But he says this, train yourself in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Paul says, fantastic, you have the truth. You have your freedom you proclaim the gospel, you put it in front of your people, and then he gives this command, train yourself in godliness. Because you need to be renovated day by day by day. In verse six, Paul talks about being nourished with the words of faith. It's almost like eating. It's like when we receive God's word, we're getting, we're getting food for our soul to be nourished by his goodness to let it affect us and change us and make us healthy. And he says, train yourself. Or maybe how I would say this morning is be renovated. Get yourself into this place where God's grace is working on you, not just once a week, not just once every 15 years, but every single day. And the way that we actually do this as Christians, uh, there's this great wealth, this great treasure of gifts that we've been given from church history called the spiritual practices or the spiritual disciplines. So there are things like worship, gathering for worship every week, hearing the word, receiving Holy Communion. There are things like daily prayer, and not just praying once a day or praying before meals, but actually setting aside a time three times a day, morning, noon, and evening, to center your work day and your personal life around God's word and praying to him. It's things like Sabbath, resting, taking a day, worshiping, listening to his word, and resting from your work intentionally. It's things like solitude, taking time away from others, from your family or from your coworkers, whatever it might be, and having time where you just settle for a while with God and you let him sort out all your thoughts and emotions and everything to recenter around him. We need to do this almost every day. And there are all sorts of different practices. Fasting is another one. We have a whole lot of them that the church, as we've experienced God's grace, we've passed this down. Uh, many of them are rooted directly in scripture and specifically directly in what Jesus did himself. And here's the thing is that when we train ourselves in godliness, what we see here is that godliness is valuable in every way, and that it holds promise for both the present and the life to come. I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't feel good to feel like you're always in a hurry, right? 
It doesn't feel good to feel like you have high anxiety about your kids or your work or whatever's going on. It doesn't feel good to be bitter about how things are different now than they used to be or to be angry at our neighbors because whatever, they put the fence you know, four feet into our yard, right? There's, uh, these things don't feel good. It's like not a good way to live. And we swim in a culture where anger, anger, uh, anger and bitterness and hurry and selfish desire and the tyranny of my own opinions, it like rules. And we kind of swim in this water and we don't realize that it's poisoned. And what I think is so great about this passage is that it tells us there's a better way. There's a way that we can live, that we get benefit and good in the present life as well as our eternal life. And so we live the life of Jesus. We get trained in godliness. Because you know what? Jesus seemed like he was at peace a lot. Seemed like he wasn't in a hurry to go from place to place. It seemed like in the face of adversity and those who despised him, he was able to have love and not grow harsh in anger. There's a better way for us to live. A way centered around the word of God. A way centered around and nourished by the words of faith that we then receive the Holy Spirit and we get the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and the rest. In a world that tells us we have to always be on the go, we can have peace. In a world that takes, tells us we need to be anxious about this change and that change and this political thing and that political thing, we can have peace. In a world that tells us to be angry about everything, we can have gentleness. In a world that tells us to be true to yourself, we can be true to God and have faithfulness. In a world that tells us to do whatever you want, we can have self-control. There's a way of life offered to us that is true and good and delightful. And the way that we enter into this is through Jesus. By being with Jesus, by becoming like him, by doing the things that he would do. We spend time with Jesus through his word. We become like him in how we act and behave. We pray like Jesus prayed. We take time away like Jesus took time away. We engage with the world like Jesus engaged with the world. We worship and we fast and we Sabbath and we witness to, to the work of God in our lives. And these spiritual disciplines actually create in us, they renovate our lives and produce these fruits. Because there is a better life available to you. And that's the life of Jesus. And you need it day by day by day. And the reason that I bring this up now is because as Pastor Drew and I have been, uh, as I said, praying for you guys and talking, and uh, we have found that this is where God is moving this congregation. To be a congregation filled with people who are new creatures in Christ. Filled with people who are abundantly filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. To be a congregation filled with people who are living a Jesus kind of life, a peaceful, 
gentle, faithful, unhurried kind of life. And it is by being this colony of heaven, this colony of new creation in the Sauk Valley, we can witness to the goodness of God. His goodness to give us benefit now and later. So this is the invitation. The invitation this morning is to desire and want to enter into this life of Jesus. This life that is not filled with anxiety, a life that is not filled with bitterness, a life that is not filled with fear, a life that is not filled with anger, but instead a life that is filled with God's presence and the fruit of the Spirit.